0: You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today, we have Christina Stembo, who's the founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers, which has an innovative new model for purchasing flowers online that does it right. Christina, how's it going?
1: Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: thanks for being here. So can you tell us a little more about kind of the the story behind Farm Girl Flowers and, and tell us about what doing it right means?
1: Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I started Farm Girl Flowers about 9 years ago for my dining room. I always wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what industry. So, it wasn't um the story isn't what a lot of people wanted to be, like, you know, that I had this burning passion for for flowers and and just wanted to like live out my passion. And I actually think that's really important because I think that's why we're able to be so successful is because we look at it as a business and not a passion project. I knew I wanted to start a business that could grow really big. I knew that I wanted to do something good in the world and I knew that it needed to be bootstrapped, at least at the beginning phases, because I didn't have the pedigree that everybody else had around me. So when I came up with the idea for Farm Girl, I was really frustrated with when I would send my mom flowers in Indiana Um, I didn't like the whole process. I didn't like the options that were available. And I didn't understand why I would spend an hour looking through hundreds of options and think it was going to cost $50. And it would end up costing $100. And then what she would receive never looked anything like what I thought it was going to. So I thought, can I do this better and differently? And so I looked at In-N-Out Burger as my kind of guiding light (laughs) um, as a business. (laughs) Yeah, it was, you know, they do what they do, and they do it really well. So Could I apply that same philosophy to the flower industry where everything that was currently out there was like more is more, you know, they all had about 200 options on their website. Uh, You know, this was back in 2010. So it was kind of before people were doing more curated menus. So I thought, could I do that though? Could I offer better, but fewer, far fewer options so I could, you know, move the one lever that I could in order to use higher priced flowers that people actually wanted to receive was if I could lower the waste. And so, you know, with In-N-Out's philosophy of do what you do and do it really well, I thought, okay, if I only offer when I started one option, uh, so consumers didn't get to pick what the flowers were, if they had a reasonable expectation, they're gonna be beautiful, would they trust me to do that? And then I could keep my flower costs where they needed to be because I wouldn't have 40% waste, which was industry standard. So I just thought, let me go for it and try it and see if it works. Um, I gave myself two years or until I ran out of money. And that, Pretty much coincided a little bit together and almost ran out of money at about the year and a half mark in. Um, I had $49,000 of personal savings that I invested into it and thankfully didn't and just kept going, uh, bootstrapped it. And today we're nine years old, still bootstrapped, about 165 people, finished last year with over 32 million in revenue and are just growing at about 50% year over year clip now, bootstrapped and hope to get to a billion dollars soon. Wow.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Congrats on your success. I'm curious, you're in the heart of Silicon Valley. So I'm sure people have come up to you and been like, hey, why don't we put some money into it? Yes or no?
1: Yes and no. I've gotten three offers and 101 no's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actively tried to raise capital for many years. Just finally stopped last year. I tried for three years to yeah. raise capital back in 2015 and then again in. Eighteen, beginning of 19, 2019 and all of the offers that we were able to get, the three weren't great offers. They weren't comparable to what I believe a lot of male-owned companies and similar in our, in our space have received for theirs. Hmm. And so, I'm not willing to compromise that and give up more yeah. of my company than I should have to, with a lot of clauses in the term sheet that are, you know, just not great. So, turned down the few offers that we've had and have gotten turned down by more than we've received, right. um, and just decided that, you know. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to keep doing it the way that we can. And the great part is, you know, we've been able to bootstrap it. It's hard. Cash flow is really hard when you're growing a perishable product company. But it, at least I know that we're building a healthy company, a sustainable company. That even if there's an economic downturn, we're going to be okay.
0: That's awesome. And you mentioned male owned. So do you do you think? I mean, your opinion uh, around the bias. I guess what kind of responses were you getting from people? It's like, oh, is it? We think because you're a female founder, like there should be a discount is that kind of what you're getting
1: I don't think people are that blatant about I don't think they even realize they're doing it I think it's all implicit Uh bias Um, you know it's statistically i have less than a 2% chance of raising capital and so the mm-hmm. fact that i was spending 30% of my time is not a really good <laughs> thing to do anyway you know mm-hmm. i think if i have less than a 2% chance of of doing it then i should give it about 2% of my time right. because i need to spend the other 98% growing a company but there's a lot of implicit bias out there and i think we need to call it what it is it's there you know we're not investing in female owned companies at the same rate we are male owned companies and right. I am the only female-owned e-commerce, like large-scale e-commerce, B2C flower company out there. All of our Mm -hmm. competitors are 100% male-owned, and they were all able to get capital, most of them pre-revenue even, and following, looks like it, you know, they're very strikingly similar companies too, with things that we've created, like the burlap wrap bouquet, the bike courier delivery is using the same, you know, some of the same tenets of our model they're able to go get capital before they've even been able to sell one bouquet. And even, you know, when I tried to raise capital the first time, we were already several million dollars in revenue and was turned down. So that's ridiculous. I just people that invested in other companies that yeah. look like ours. So I think that is I think one of the reasons. I also think that, you know, we don't fit the model for most VCs and I'm not willing to lie about it you know, we have a perishable product, you know, our margins are never going to be 30%. They're never going to be even close to software margins, they're not going to be close to margins for like sweater companies where you make them in China and sell them, you know, here. So it is what it is. And I know what VCs what they're looking for. And I can't give them that. And so there's there's also that and that's a big reason as well. Got it.
0: Okay, makes sense. I think what I recommend to the the audience, there's this YouTube video on Jack Ma talking about how women are the best leaders. And I think what Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank was Mm -hmm. like, his best company. Are the, the woman owned companies. So there you have it.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're still around and still going strong, bootstrapped, and, and many of our competitors are no longer in business even. So, right. yeah.
0: Okay. I'm starting at your website right now. And you mentioned kind of in and out. So I'm assuming high quality, maybe a little higher prices. How do you make money exactly?
1: Yeah. So we barely do. but no. So it, our margins are very low. We're funding our own growth, but we make money, you know, by selling really high quality bouquets that people will come back. So, Kind of the, the difference between us and the old model for e-commerce flower companies is we do spend a lot more on flowers. Like the flowers that you're going to get in a farm grill bouquet, our flower cost is gonna be significantly higher than all of our competitors. And we're able to do that because, you know, right now we have the most options we'll ever have on our website because we're going into Valentine's Day. But usually we have less than 20 options on our site. Right now we have between 30 and 40 and only because of a holiday instead of having two to 300 options. So we drastically reduce our waste. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, industry standard is about 40% waste. So people, you know, companies don't know what you're going to order. So they have to order a lot of everything and guess. And we don't do that. So when you come to our site and you buy like one of our our signature burlap wrap bouquets, we show you a picture of what it will look something like, but we don't guarantee any flower varieties in it. And we use higher quality stems in those bouquets. So, you know, it's going to be beautiful. But we're not going to guarantee that there's going to be ranunculus in that because you know ranunculus might be $3 a stem that week or they might look really bad and so we're not going to buy them. So we don't have to throw things away because we can use every stem we buy then because we don't guarantee what stems will be in each bouquet. So that part of the model works really well for sourcing and supply chain. But then the other part that really differentiates us is we'll never need to spend what our competitors need to spend on marketing because we have over 60% return customer rate. Mm. Um, Yeah, because we are a product first company so When you come into the Farm Girl Flowers headquarters, it looks very different than all of our competitors who don't touch flowers. We have 165 workers that are making bouquets and receiving flowers from trucks coming in and processing those flowers and packing the flowers in boxes and shipping them out. Like we put so much heart into what we do and we make them in-house here to make sure the quality stays where it needs to be. So people will come back over and over again and they'll love us so much. We put a lot into the unboxing experience. They'll love us so much that they'll tell everybody around them about it which makes our marketing costs significantly lower than our competitors. So under 10%, you know, our customer acquisition cost has always been under $10 Wow! Um, for e-commerce. That's pretty phenomenal. That's insane, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's because we make sure that we're providing the best, what we think to be, the best product and the best customer experience, so people will come back and tell all their friends about us.
0: I love it, Christine. You just saved me because I forgot to order stuff for Valentine's Day. So I'm going <laughs> to order from your site. Um, awesome, we're
1: not sold which, out yet, so yeah, great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which one do you recommend? Five hundred days of summer or love? Actually,
1: love actually is my favorite thing on the site right now. Okay, so. perfect. And, I and see. we're going to sell out of that in the next probably four days or three to four days. So okay, Get I'm it.
0: adding to cart yeah. right now. <laughs> awesome. All right, awesome. So we kind of before the show we started. You talked about you know distribution centers. You talked. about about, you know, scaling a bootstrap company. I mean, to me, distribution center scares the crap out of me, right? Because I'm mostly like an online software kind of guy. So what did you do before leading up to this company? And then I guess, how did you learn about all these logistics? Because to me, I'm just like, holy crap, that's so much. I would totally fail.
1: <laughs> it's all self-taught, by the way. So like, I have no college education, anything, everything that I've done is completely self-taught. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts like this and awesome. teach myself everything. I taught myself everything about flowers from YouTube videos and books. So I knew nothing about it before. I started Farmgirl. Before starting Farmgirl, I worked at Stanford University, which is really ironic since I didn't go to college. (laughs) Um, Initially, my first job there was I was the head of catering, so I was always in hospitality before, which I think also really helps because you know I worked with team members that aren't tech team members, you know, with hourly team members and in hospitality. And also, customer experience was really important in hospitality, and that helped me with this as well. And then after that, I was the head of alumni relations. So one of the departments that I oversaw did events for the law school. And we bought a lot of flowers. So that's one of the reasons that I started researching the flower industry, because I was like, why do these cost so much? And then I you know, went down this rabbit hole of research and why e-commerce was declining for flowers and all of that. So that also helped with the early stages of, of my research. But then everything that I've done since starting it in my apartment in 2010 has just been Learning as I go, what's the next phase? You know, when I started, I thought within two years I would have national shipping going, and I had Mm. no idea what I was talking about. I had no idea that, like, you know, to ship a flower box from here to New York without any discount is $200, and I can't subsidize that much. So it took me five and a half years to get national shipping going until I could afford the subsidies. And we're still subsidizing shipping by over $2 million a year. And the fact that we charge consumers $25 to ship is unreal. Like you know that if you buy anything online, everybody wants free shipping. Yeah. And we can't afford to do that. I did a focus group. I do lots of focus groups too, which is mm-hmm. also helpful for me. And you know, before we started shipping, I wanted to find out what our consumers would be willing to pay for shipping. And at $25, only 2% said they'd be willing to pay that to ship, but I couldn't go lower. You know, it was over 90% if I could get it down to $12 and over 80% if I could get it to 15. And I was like, I'll go out of business in a month with those subsidies. So I I thought I would be able to start at $25 and very rapidly be able to go down Mm -hmm. from there. And we've had to keep it there since 2015 because our subsidies keep going up because we're shipping so much to further away destinations. And So that's why I knew, you know, we need to open distribution centers. I've known that for several years. We just haven't been able to afford it. So Mm -hmm. being bootstrapped, I have to wait till I can save up enough money to do it ourselves, which sometimes I think it's going to take a year and it ends up taking three like this time. So this year's the year we're doing it. (laughs)
0: Awesome. So I, I think you've also learned another lesson on the $25 that people are willing to pay for it.
1: Yeah, a lot. I mean, I'm flabbergasted and so grateful. I mean, it is our number one complaint by customers. And we, you know, always send them back and like, we know. And as soon as we're not subsidizing $2 million a year, we will lower that cost as as quickly as we can. And so our hope is by opening, you know, two distribution centers this year and another one next year, if we can afford it, might be two more years. We'll be able to lower that pretty quickly. If we have, you know, when we have seven distribution centers, we can get 86% of our orders to ground overnight instead of air overnight. And that means instead of it costing us $39 to ship a box that we charge $25 for, we'll be able to get it around $13. And so that's what we're we're going for. And, and it's just going to take us several years to get there.
0: That's great. Interestingly enough, the second bullet point talking about passion points is becoming a better leader. And I remember I was talking to a friend who his friend actually runs a company that's valued at about eight billion bucks right now, but he, so he got, he got access to all these other CEOs, Microsoft, kind of Zoom, all these people. and he found that the number one thing that all these leaders obsess over is culture, and well, if you're a good leader, you're going to you know, talk about culture all the time, too. So I guess for you, how have you learned to become a better leader? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. So culture, I mean, yeah, I think those go hand in hand. I messed up in a really big way early on. I was just all about growth and just working so hard to, to grow. And it was back in 2016, we grew so fast. We went from 4.4 million to over 10 million in one year, and we had to move warehouses. And it was just a lot of things all at once. And I didn't put any any effort pretty much on the, the culture. I just thought, you know, we're providing benefits and, and good non-tech jobs, and isn't that enough? And it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't enough. And it got away from me very quickly. And we had a horrible culture for a short time. And I had actually intentionally slowed down our growth for the next six months, you know, cut off marketing, do all kinds of things, just because I needed to focus internally on building the company that I wanted to build. And not, you know, it, which like growth will come then later, I just had to stop that and um, really focus on what was important. And since then, you know, I know that, you know, at least 20% of my time needs to be spent on my team and on... You know culture no CEO ever says you know I started a company because I want to manage people you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that like but that's what you need to do you know yep. you need to lead a team and you know most CEOs and I'm no exception to this like I want to build I want to like create and I need to build you know build a team that does that so you have to give up the part that you like the most usually to do the part that's the most important and so ever since then we've we've fixed it and I'm so grateful and it's really ironic because the number one reason that I haven't been able to raise capital that has been told to me, not probably the real reason being you know my gender and the type of product, you know, the type of company we have, but the number one reason that's been told to me is that I am basically unfundable because I don't have a team. Mm. And that's really, really wrong. I don't have a team that looks like Silicon Valley or New York or Boston or any of those places, but I have the team with the most heart and that like, I would put my team against any team uh, here in the Valley. And I think we would win <laughs> at any contest because my team, I'm the the leader that has to tell them I need them to slow down and I need them to like take a break. I never need to be like, are they working enough hours? Because they're working too many hours. And that's because they actually care about what they do. And I think that that's proof that, you know, we're building something together. It's not my company. It's all of our company. And that's the type of leader I want to be is that we'll always have a team that like we're, we're all running together. And, we're, you know, like you jump, I jump, Jack kind of thing, you know, and that's how I lead. And I also I know that the reason that Farm World is successful doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. It has to do with my team.
0: Right. How did you get this superstar team?
1: By hiring people that. No one else would believe in pretty much. So my team doesn't look like Silicon Valley because it doesn't have the credentials of Silicon Valley. You know, when I talk to CEO friends and they're having culture issues a lot, but they're only hiring people that worked at Google, Facebook, or Apple and have their Stanford, you know, like degrees and Harvard and Yale. You're getting a different type of person with different expectations and probably different background and how hard they've been willing to work at things, you know? And, you know, I'm not saying that people are bad that have all those credentials, but I think we're missing out on a lot of people like me that don't have any credentials, but are use a lot of common sense and have a lot of intellectual curiosity that they're and a lot of heart. And so my team looks like me.
0: That's great. Well, working towards wrapping up here earlier, we talked about you know, how you're a voracious learner, whether it's learning about flowers on YouTube or listening to podcasts. So what is the number one book you'd recommend to people?
1: Honestly, the number one book I'd recommend isn't a business book. It's anything by Brene Brown. (laughs) She's kind of my guiding light. I think once I learned that, you know, being vulnerable and real with your team will lead to greatness, it's definitely worked for me. And, you know, like when we're having financial, you know, difficulties or challenges, I share that with my team and we all like cut costs together. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm like, we need to do this, open this distribution center in order to not run out of money on shipping subsidies. They're all like, okay, let's do it tomorrow. Like literally we opened our first distribution center this year in three months. Like from when we decided to do it, we opened it in another country in three months. Like I don't know any company that can do that that quickly. And um, I think it's because of what I've learned from Brene Brown and being real and vulnerable with my team. They give that right back to me.
0: Awesome. And I do want to jump back for a second. You talked about a $10 cost of customer or customer Mm -hmm. acquisition cost. And then uh, I heard a lot of high quality kind of return customers, also word of mouth too. What's one other thing that's working well for you in terms of growth today?
1: I mean, we actually had to slow down our growth last year intentionally because of our shipping Mm -hmm. subsidies and because we also couldn't find enough team members in Silicon Valley. So I think something that's working for me is not what a lot of people want to hear, like just like knowing your numbers and making wise decisions, even, you know, I'm really lucky, though, that I'm able to do that because I don't have some VCs or private equity, you know, people Mm -hmm. or a board that's telling me just grow, just grow, just grow. Like we're actually being really thoughtful and strategic about how we grow. So I I think that's really working for us, even though it's last year, we only showed like right under 50% growth which is the lowest number we've ever had on growth, but it was a much healthier number to have.
0: Got it. That makes sense. That's a good answer. And what's your favorite tool to grow your business?
1: Oh, favorite tool? Excel, probably. (laughs) I mean, I'm an Excel junkie. Yeah. 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 That's probably it.
0: All right. And which company or founder are you following or studying right now?
1: I mean, I have a lot of like founders that I'm just kind of in awe of what they're doing. Katrina Lake is one that I am just in awe of what she's done at Stitch Fix. Glossy is, I mean, like there's just a lot of um, them. They tend to be female. You know, we have so few of us out there that I I tend to follow all the female founders that are doing it really well. I'd say Katrina Lake's my, my current entrepreneur crush.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, Christina, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online?
1: Awesome. Yeah, please find us at com. We're also very active on digital channels. We have 5x the engagement on our digital channels and all of our competitors combined each month. So find us on Instagram and Facebook as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this.
1: Great. Thanks, Eric.